11 a.m., good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 if you want to turn your Bibles. We're continuing our series entitled Defiant Joy. And uh, we're studying the book of Philippians as a church, kind of going verse by verse, talking about this theme that Paul talks over and over and over about in Philippians, and it's this theme of joy. Uh, how, who could use more joy in their life? Amen. Most of us, if not all of us. And, um, but we're, we're studying that joy is more than a feeling, isn't it? Joy is more than just the things you feel. Joy is rooted in understanding who Jesus is. And this is what Paul wants to talk about, about with us this morning. I, I need you to buckle up because he's going to kind of get in our face a little bit this morning. So welcome to church. Paul's going to be in, a little bit intense. So here we are, right? Um, but how many know the scripture wants to speak truth to us? Yeah. Uh, God, 12 of you believe that out of 600 of you. <laughs> no, yeah. How many of those scripture wants to speak truth? And sometimes uh, we need to be reminded of some things and to get aligned back with who the God's calling us to be. And so that's what Philippians chapter three is this morning. We're going to cover 14 verses. And don't worry, the last two services only took us two hours. So why don't you stand to your feet and uh, we're going we're gonna to read the, the word this morning. No, we'll be out of here and at least before the Super Bowl today. Uh, I'm so thankful for God's word. Things that the scripture says about the scripture is that it's the living and active word of God. It's the words of life. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. And so when we come to read these words, it just gives us this, this perspective. 14 verses, this is the 100,000 foot view and then I'll, I'll zoom in, but go with me. Try and stay focused for all of these if you can. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. So beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he's confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Verse seven, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. Verse eight, more than that, I count all these things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." couple more verses, but not that I have already grasped all of it. I've already became perfect, but I press on. I may also take hold of that, which I was also even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as of taking hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Lord, may your word go deep into our hearts. We're just so well aware of the, the greatest need within our human condition is to have encounters with you. And so in the, midst of, in the midst of all the things going on in our lives, we pause for an hour and 10 minutes on a Sunday morning just to recenter and refocus. And I pray that's what these moments would do for us, that 
you would draw us back to you. And even as we're in this context, blessed to be here this morning, um, we're well aware that there are brothers and sisters in Christ that we will spend eternity with that are not in the same reality this morning. That um, we think of many brothers and sisters who are persecuted and meeting in basements and, and secrecy so they, they don't get persecuted for their faith. And we think about our brothers and sisters in Turkey and in Syria who gathering on a Sunday morning looks a lot different this morning because of the earthquakes that happened there. And Lord, our hearts break. We can't fully understand the tragedy of what's going on there. So we pray you would, you would bless the churches that are rising up to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be with, the, be with the workers that have gone. Strengthen their hands and their hearts. Give them energy and strength as they help make meaning out of a situation that doesn't seem like there's much meaning. And it uh, breaks our hearts. And so be with those people. Be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And be with us this morning. Help us, shape us to be people of hope. Shape us in these times that this might be where we gather, we become more like you so that we can scatter to be the hope of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. So uh, today at I think 3 or 3.30, there's a little thing going on called the Super Bowl. And uh, most of, everyone knows about that, right? Just wanna make sure. Everyone knows, it's, it's, I was doing some research on it. it was, it's the most watched event of the year. Um, well over 100 million people will watch the Super Bowl today. And uh, just, it's crazy. In fact, you know, let's just have some fun in church. Who, who's rooting for the Chiefs today? Okay, six of you. Okay, that's great. Who's rooting for the Eagles today? Okay, a couple Eagle fans over here. Who just doesn't care, right? There we go. <laughs> and uh, yes, that... Um, Besides the really passionate Eagles fans over here, that was the loudest response. Um, and the most Pentecostal we've gotten all weekend. So that's amazing. <laughs> and uh, welcome to Calvary. Things are, yeah, let's go. And, um, uh, but for me, I don't really care about the Super Bowl except for one thing. And what is it? The commercials, right? Um, the commercials to me is why uh, my wife and our little son, we're gonna head up to some friend's house later and we're gonna watch, watch the game all just so that we can get to the commercials. Did you know this? Um, for a 30 second commercial, uh, I think it's $6 million for a 30 second commercial. Now that is wild to me. Uh, and, it, and it got me thinking this week. Uh, first of all, that's a lot of money. <laughs> Second of all, the the reality of a business paying $6 million to have a 30-second thing, how many of you know if you're an owner of a business and you are going to, and that doesn't even count what it costs to make the commercial or do all those things, and you're going to be spending $6 million, you're going to want to have a clear goal to what that commercial is going to do, right? Just logic. Like, you're not just trying to drop $6 million just for fun, right? Like, you're believing that this 30-second commercial on the most watched event in the year is going to do some things for you. What, what do they want? I, I think first, the first thing they want from you, their goal, the marketing team, their goal for when they want from you and me today, this afternoon, is they want our attention, right? They will do anything to get our attention for 30 seconds. Every, every company is gonna try and outdo one another to make their commercial the best commercial for today, right? Uh, but you know, they don't just want your money. Their goals are clear. They don't just want your attention, guess what else they want? They want your money, right? They want your attention 
and they want your money and their goals are going to be clear in everything they do to make sure that those are accomplished today. Got me thinking, and the Apostle Paul, he talks about a goal. And his goal is really simple, it's really clear, it's really direct, and it's in your face. What Paul wants and what he's trying to get from us in Philippians chapter three is he's trying to make sure that faith and our relationship with Jesus isn't a part of our lives, but he wants us to have this idea of knowing Jesus that encompasses the entirety of all of our lives. That, that knowing Jesus, this is his whole thing in Philippians chapter three, and we're gonna talk about it. Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is the umbrella as to which everything in our lives should be seen. It's not a portion, it's not a little bit, it's not a Sunday morning, it's not a Wednesday night, it's not whenever your small group meets. Knowing Jesus is the encompassed goal of our entire lives and we must fight to make sure that that became, it becomes and stays the goal of our lives. This is what Philippians chapter three is all about. Now let's, let's jump through and let's, let's see what Paul has to say. Philippians chapter three, I'll, I'll read the first couple of verses again. Finally, my brothers and my sisters rejoice, that's that joy word, Defiant joy, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. So, so Paul says uh, right away, he says, to write these same things again is no trouble for me. The apostle Paul had no problem repeating himself over and over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of times, uh, especially in some of these things, I don't always need to be taught, but I need to be reminded over and over and over and over. Have you been there before? And I think what, I think what Paul is saying, what he's attempting to say, he's like, there's gotta be these things that you never get tired of talking about and hearing about. When it comes to following Jesus, uh, we, we should never tire of thinking, talking, reflecting on the person of Jesus and his ministry. We should never tire or we should never stop talking about the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ at Calvary. We should never tire, we should never stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus, that the Bible says because he was risen, now we can rise with Christ. We should never get tired of talking about the, the people of Israel and their journey into finding the promised land. We should never get tired of talking about this book. What Paul is saying is he's like, I'm gonna keep hitting these things over and over and over because you're gonna think you get it, but how many know there's always more when it comes to God. There's always more to learn. There's more to grow in. And he, he's just going to say, hey, like, I'm going to tell these things to you. And it brings me a lot of joy that when you get tired of hearing it, I'm going to tell it to you again, <laughs> right? Uh, this is Paul's heart. And why? Why? Because it's like a safeguard. It's the things that protect. It's the things that, that, that help your, your belief system and your, and your faith with Jesus. It helps protect them because the things that have your attention are the most important things. And if I keep these things on the top of your attention, your heart will follow, right? And so this is what, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I have to do this because the, beware of the dogs. He says, beware of the dogs. In other words, what he's saying is, in knowing Christ, I'm gonna say these things over and over to you because I want you to be aware of the distractions, I want you to be aware of distractions that could be around you. This is, this is the dogs, the evil workers, the people that attempt to add things to your faith. Paul is warning them. This is actually the first really intense warning in the book of Philippians. He's been very encouraging thus far. He kind of turns a corner and he, he gives them this, this blunt warning, beware of the dogs. Now, uh, when you think of dogs, 
you might think that this is what he's talking about. <laughs> um, but this is not what he's talking about. Um, we, our dog looked like that one time, and now he's 65 pounds, still pretty cute, but twice as annoying. And, and Paul's not talking about these dogs. Um, in fact, dogs in this time, they weren't like, they weren't like a part of a family like we would say today. Like we all have, many of us have pets. Like that, that is very normal in this Greco-Roman era. A dog would have just been like a, a like it would have been seen as like a wolf. It would have been seen as something that would devour and it would be, um, it would be not welcomed into your home. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll, say it, I'll say it this way. Oh, this is like a real, this is like a real life thing that happened to our family this last week. Uh, we, um, I was just landing from a trip and my, my wife, she calls me and says, hey, there's a, there's a pit bull in our backyard. And I'm like, wow, this is, that is a great way to land, right? And um, it, everything ended up being okay. I can see it on your faces. Like, but it was, it was intense. This wasn't like one of those trained pit bulls. Like the, our, our neighbor ha- had one and it broke into our yard and it began to get aggressive. It began to chase our dog and began to like, my wife was kind of in the middle of all this and it, it was a very, very scary moment for her in the moment. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying there's going to be the pit bulls of life that are going to try and come and attack your faith. And they're gonna get aggressive about it. They're gonna get strong about it. They're gonna, they're, gonna, they're gonna fight to be there. This is why he says, I need a safeguard. You need to safeguard your life. You need to make sure there's these things in your beliefs because not every person gets a right to speak into your belief system, right? Not every person, not, every, not everything on TV or social media or radio station or podcast, not everyone gets a voice into you speaking into your spiritual life. There's going to be people, like Paul is saying, that could be equivalent to like the dogs. They're gonna be vicious about changing the way you think. And they're gonna be passionate about it. And they're gonna work hard about it to try and change the way you think. And Paul says, may it not be so. Paul was very, very respectful towards other beliefs. Paul was very, very respectful to the Jewish leaders of his time. But when Paul, when Paul got really in your face was when any leader tried to add to the message of Christ. And so these leaders were trying to say, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus this. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is what Paul wants them to see. It's by faith alone. It's in by Jesus alone. And so in our lives, we take from this, you have to be aware of the distractions, the things that will come into your life to, to get you off of keeping the main thing the main thing. You have to be aware of money can be an idol to come into your life and begin to pull you away from Jesus. You have to be aware of the distractions of a career or your iPhone or your Android. Like right when you open up God's word, you're gonna get a phone call, right? You're gonna go to your quiet time and someone's gonna attempt to call you or you're gonna get a notification like, all these things that could be distractions to you, video games, addictions, and I keep going on, but we have to be really careful to, as Paul says, safeguard from the dogs and the distractions and the people that are gonna try and change the way we think. Let's keep reading. Are you with me this morning? Philippians chapter three, verse three. For we are the true circumcision. We worship in the spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence, catch this phrase, We put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh, if anyone thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that's the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, which is the law, found blameless. Paul says the second thing when it comes to knowing Christ, this entire passage of scripture is about knowing Christ. We have to be aware of our distractions, but number two, put no confidence in the flesh. When it comes to knowing Christ, Paul's encouragement to us is to put no confidence in the flesh. His first warning is about the distractions. These are the external things that are going to try and change the way you think. His second warning is for you and that you would get out of your own way when it comes to following Jesus. How many know sometimes uh, the external things are distracting, but at least in my own life, I usually get in my own way more than the external distractions. And this is what Paul is saying. I, I like to think of this, this passage of scripture. It's like, it's like the back of a baseball card uh, or a sports card. And you know, like when you like look at a player like Ken Griffey Jr., you can turn it back and you can see all of the different, the teams he played for and his accolades and all those things, right? This is like what Paul did for his own, like his own journey, like very humble of him, right? <laughs> but like, he's like, he, we just read it, but he's like, yeah, like circumcised on the eighth day. Yep, this like, that's what the law would have said to do. So like he started off his life godly. Like he was from the tribe of Benjamin. What was the tribe of Benjamin? It would have been seen as one of the most elite tribes, if not the most. Uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, when it came to the law, he wasn't just a, a knower of the law. He was a Pharisee. He understood the law in and out. He was a defendant for religion, even if that meant persecuting the church. He was a meticulous observer of all the things that the Bible said that he should do. And what was Paul's conclusion? All these things, all his accolades, all the things that he did, he said, all of it, I put no confidence in the flesh. Even though he could have had reason to be confident in the flesh. When it comes to confidence in the flesh, I could talk about a lot of things. We could probably spend some time talking about our own agendas, our things that are accolades, the things that we think are important, the things that we've put maybe as, as idols in our lives. I could spend some time talking about that, and I, and I think it would be important for us to talk about that. And I think those are real things, that the confidence in our own self can sometimes be the very thing that gets us in the way of us leaning fully into Jesus. And I think that that is a very real thing for many of us, if not all of us in that room, in the room today. But I think that what the Lord laid on my heart when it comes to confidence in the flesh and um, if this is for you, it's for you. Maybe it was just for me this, this week. But I think when it comes to confidence in the flesh, it's a warning against what I'll call spiritual pride. Confidence in the flesh is what I would call spiritual pride. Do you know what spiritual pride is? Like, it's like this, uh, like, a, like an arrogance or like a, a showing off to your spiritual life that uh, makes it perceive as if that you're really growing in your faith, but really... Um, and in your heart, you still have some work to do, but you're not willing to reconcile where you're at and where you perceive yourself to be. Does this make sense? <laughs> and in the middle of that is the spiritual pride. Spiritual pride rears its ugly head um, in ways of thinking that you have been in church longer than someone else, therefore you're more important. Uh, this is thinking that uh, church is really just about to meet you and your needs. And the minute it doesn't do that, it's, it's not important to you anymore. Spiritual pride, sorry if this is too honest this morning, are you with me? <laughs> um, sometimes laughing kind of makes it, right? Um, the 
spiritual pride sometimes it means that you're thinking that you're more knowledgeable than other person because you've studied more Bible, you've read it longer, you're, insta- you're instantly right when it comes to theological conversations. Has anyone ever been around those kinds of people before? Have you been that kind of person before? Don't nod your head, but just we're like, you, you like, because you've got the Bible degree, you've, got, you've been through the class, you've been through this, all of a sudden you're the expert and have very little to learn from someone else. This is spiritual pride. Um, at, the, at the core of spiritual pride is an inability to listen or to learn from other people. And Paul's encouragement to us is, uh, that's the flesh, that's not the spirit, and put no confidence in the flesh because the flesh will fail you. If the flesh hasn't failed you yet, church, it will, <laughs> don't worry. And this is Paul, but what, what's the invitation? The invitation is we lay down our flesh and we accept our worship in the spirit. In fact, this is what it says in Romans chapter 12. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. So when when the world is trying to, to make themselves look good, to have their own accolades, to climb the corporate ladder, to do all these things, and to put confidence in yourself, we as followers of Jesus, we actually say, no, no, we humble ourselves, we humble our flesh, we humble those things. This is our true and our proper worship, and that is the very nature when we allow the Spirit of God to live in us. This is good news, because if you put confidence in the flesh and things go bad in your life, you have to rely on yourself to get out of the bad thing. But if you're relying on the Spirit... When things go bad in your life, you have the spirit to sustain you and to get you through whatever's going on in your life. So we worship, we lay down our own agenda, we lay down our pride and say, I actually don't have that much to offer, but the Holy Spirit in me is the hope of glory, as the scripture says. And so this is putting no confidence in the flesh. Knowing Jesus is putting no confidence in the flesh. Let's keep reading. Verse eight, if you're with me, say I'm with you. More than that, I count all things... This is what Paul says. I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and that I be found in him having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is found through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering is being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, all those things, all those earthly accolades, I count as rubbish. Now, that word rubbish can be translated as dog poop, right? That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is reminding us. It's like, all the stuff that you think might be important in the grand scheme of eternity is really not all that important. But what Paul says is the most important thing to him. And this is like the crux of this entire passage. This is the thesis of the entire passage. This is everything leads to this statement. What's most important to him that I may know Christ and the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That's exactly what Paul wants us to get from this statement. That we would, we would know Christ. Yep, there's gonna be distractions. Yes, there's going to be times we're going to get in our own way, but at the core of it, I want to know Christ. Church, is that your heart today? I hope so. I hope it's my heart. I hope that we can get to this place that you can take everything from my life, but as long as I have Christ, I'm okay. Like, if there's anything in your life that you're like, if, I, if, if that got taken from me and Christ is not sufficient, that's an idol. 
But, but, what, but what Paul is saying, he's like, all the things of life, not all of them are bad and not all of them are inherently evil, but what is first for me, what I want more than anything is to know Christ. And this isn't like an intellectual knowing. This isn't like an intellectual knowing. Like, like Paul, when, when he speaks to knowing, like in our culture, we think of knowing and we think of like research and we think of reading more. We think of understanding. We think of watching, going to college, sitting in lectures. Like, but that's not what Paul says when it comes to knowing. Knowing to Paul was like when it transfers from your head to your heart. That's knowing. Like, and because Paul, remember, Paul was, was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So Paul grew up in this, everything was experienced for the Jewish people. So to know about the love of God wasn't to know about the love of God, it was to experience the love of God. To, to know about the things in the Bible were not just enough to know, it needed to be to know. Like, do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> like, you can know something, but then you can know something. And this is what he's talking about, that you would believe it from the whole core of who you are. In fact, is this true? Just what do you think? One can know a lot about God with ever knowing God. Yeah, I've found that to be true. One can know, have you found this true? One can even know a lot about godliness without knowing God. I found that to be true as well. Paul's implying a knowing in this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. Pastor Ray, I think he used this word visceral last week, just like this visceral relationship with Jesus that you like, you feel it in your whole being. Like it's, it's the passion that drives your life. It's a knowing and it's a being known. And Paul says everything else besides that is rubbish. I've, I've learned that all those things don't matter. A couple really practical things for you this morning. Like what? Because I, I really do believe at the core and the heart of who you are, your deepest craving is to know Christ. Whether you acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it, I believe at the very core of your being, you desire this to know your creator. So how, how do we do that? I could talk about a thousand things. But I just want to just give you three really simple practical things that you could do this week that I believe would help you know Christ. Here's the first one. Knowing God through, through creation. I think we can know God through, through creation. I love what it says in Psalm chapter 19. It says, For the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They, they have no speech, they have no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Do you catch that? The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The very creation around us is yelling, there is a God. And he is revealing himself in thousands of ways all around you. You just have to slow down enough to look. Like, like this morning, I decided to, uh, I, I was like, up at like 5.30 today. You know, kids, they really mess up your whole sleep schedule. So I'm like, up at five and I'm at 5.30, I'm like, well, let's go, I'm gonna go for a walk. So I went on a walk around our city and praying for you, praying for our church, praying for this morning and just like worship music on in my, in my AirPods and just like really enjoying. And then um, walking and then about six, uh, the, the sun starts to rise. And then about 6.15, about 6.30, it's like in downtown Sumner, it was just like, 
the most beautiful sunrise. The mountain is like backlit, all the different colors of the, and I'm just like, God, <laughs> you're so good. Like I didn't need to hear a word, but I knew God because I like was pointed back to him through his beautiful creation. Does that make sense this morning? And not only that, but as I see the things of creation, like, like, um, like the trees and like the, the little buds that are starting to form on a lot of these trees. I'm just so well aware that that tree is so in need of the ways that God has designed this world for it to bloom into a leaf here in the next few months. It's so well, it needs the water from above. It needs the sunlight from above. It needs the ecosystem of the roots all around it that are helping nourishing and strengthening it. And like when I see God's beautiful creation, it reminds me that I am, I am just as in much need of the life that comes from Christ, the, the nourishment that comes from the spirit. And it reminds me and points me, yes, with, without the things that this earth has to offer that plant to make it flourish, without Jesus in my life, I'm nothing. This makes sense this morning? Like the things of creation remind me that I am just as much in need of a loving God. And we, we get to know him through this. And so how do you know God? Go for a walk. How do you know God? Take a drive. How do you know God? Get, go to Mount Rainier National Park and go for a hike. Go to Bradley Lake Park. Go to Ruston Way. Go somewhere where you get out and your mind can just be blown about how big and good God is. This is how you can know him. And secondly, I think you can know God through, through, and this one's a little bit harder, but I think you can know God through solitude. Know God through solitude. And by, by solitude, I do mean, I, I mean silence. Like the silence, like having silence in your life. And I think a lot, of, a lot of us spend time alone, but we're alone with an iPhone. <laughs> we're alone with an Android. We're alone with a podcast. We're alone with a novel. We're alone with music. But I want to challenge you. If you want to get to know God, get around and be, have there be so much silence. Get around a place where there's no noise, where it's not loud, and you can just be and allow the silence to be so loud. You know what I mean by that? Because this is what silence does. Silence allows your soul to tell you how it's feeling. And so when you get and you're silent and your soul is like, I'm really tired <laughs> and I haven't slowed down enough to allow myself to feel that I'm really tired. So what do you do? You're tired and then you remember, oh, what's the promise of God? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. How did you get there? Solitude, silence. What's your soul telling you this morning? Or you get quiet enough and silent enough and you sit and maybe it's for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour. I find the more I sit in silence, the more I want to sit in silence sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like an extrovert, so that can be hard for me at times. But like you sit in silence and like, oh, you feel like your, your soul finally tells you, oh, you're lonely you don't have deep relationships. You're craving those things. Well, then you get in the scriptures and the Bible says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you pray that God would give you godly friends 
That's a very righteous prayer. But you say in the midst of it, I'm okay because my soul has Jesus, right? Here's, here's the last thing. Through solitude, through creation, through meditating on scripture. They're meditating on scripture. Um, I could read Joshua 1, Psalms 1, Psalms 19, Psalms 104, which would all tell us the same thing, that this book should always be on your lips. You should meditate on it day and night so that you may be successful. When you meditate on God's word and you don't just read the Bible, but you allow the Bible to read you and you, and you, allow, and you chew on the Bible and you, and you meditate and you think on it, what it does is it begins to transform your life. In fact, I love what J.A. Packer says in this book, Knowing God, which would be a great study for you this week. If you wanted to purchase it off Amazon, I would highly recommend it. J.A. Packer, Knowing God says, how can we turn knowledge about God into the knowledge of God? How can we do that? Because a lot of us know a lot about God, but how do we know like God personally? And he says, the rule is simple, but it's demanding. It's that we take each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God leading to prayer and praise to God, right? So this is like when you take the words of scripture and they became the very things that are real for your life today. You sit in solitude and the promises of God can, and you can meditate on them and they became the very nourishment that your soul's been craving. And then you say, I know God because God has met my very need because I've allowed the very living and active word of God to speak to me because God's still speaking this morning. He's still speaking, speaking in all these ways primarily through this book. If you haven't meditated on it, you haven't taken his words to heart. And when you just think on it and dwell on it, oh man, the joy that comes from your life. And you will have this relationship with Jesus like, like he talks to you because you know his words. Knowing God. I could talk about the disciplines of confession, serving, giving, prayer, all the things I could talk about, but I think those three are enough for us to think about this morning. Here's the last couple of verses then we'll end in prayer this morning. Philippians chapter three says, not that I've already grasped all of this or I've already become perfect, but I press on that I also might take hold of which I have been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward towards what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is like, this is like Paul's ending. This is like when Paul's turning the corner and getting us ready for what Pastor Daniel's gonna share about next week. But this is like his like pregame talk. You know, like when a coach gets before his players to say, hey, this is some of the things we need to focus on for the game. This is what the apostle Paul is trying to do to the church in Philippi. Uh, he uses this like this race analogy multiple times in his writings. And so he's, he's like, hey, so we, we've talked about knowing Christ, knowing Jesus is the most important thing. And there's gonna be some distractions. There's gonna be some dogs that are gonna try and get you distracted. Yeah, even sometimes you're gonna get in your own way. You're gonna try and put confidence in the flesh. But in the midst of that, you need to develop these disciplines for deep devotion, whether that's confession, prayer, solitude, in God's word, meditating. And then when, when, when we're here, and the midst of it, let's go. That's essentially what he's saying. He's like, enough talking and let's go. That's essentially what he's saying. He's like, the things, the things that are in my past, I forget these things and I press on towards the things that God has for me in the future. 
Come on, what promise? Who needs to hear that promise this morning? How many of you are dwelling on the things of the past this morning? That God has got, God's like, I've got great things for you. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just look to me, if knowing me will be the first thing of your life, but you're like, yeah, but God, what about when I was 18 and these things happened? What about last year when I did this? What about this wrong mistake? What about this place I feel ashamed for? What about this place where I feel hurt for? And God's like, those are all real those are all things that you should process, but, for, but for, for the resolve in your heart, forget the things that were behind, press on towards the things that are in the future. Come on, church. This is God's call for us, that we would, we would press on. We would press on. Perseverance is everything. That, that it's about the journey. It's, not a, it's, about, it's about, in other words, it's about never arriving. This is the goal. Knowing Jesus is about never arriving. It's not never arriving. Like I, I want to have that fervor and that excitement and that, that anticipation, that expectation that I'm never going to arrive at knowing Jesus, that there's always more. There's always more to grow in his love. There's always more to receive in his grace. There's always more purpose to be found. There's always more to stretch in my calling. There's always more faith steps to take. I've, I always want to be in that, that, that place where it's like, all right, God, I want to know you so deeply that I'm willing to, we're just going to run this race and we're going to keep running. And when I get tired, that's okay. You're going to be the strength that's going to keep me going. Knowing Jesus. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're dwelling on the things of the past, may today be a shifting moment for you that you, you reconcile with some of those things. And maybe some of those you might need to go to counseling for, and there is no shame in that. Some of you might need to get in community for. You might need to go through a resource we have here at the church. But for some, maybe it's just as simple as letting go. Letting go. Because I forget the things, even the good things. How many of we've got some good things that we could celebrate from the past? And time and time again, it's good to remember of God's faithfulness, but that's not where our focus is. Our focus is on the person of Jesus and where he's taking us and how we can grow in this intimate relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet with us this morning? I, uh, we're gonna pray in just a second. But I, um, I was reading about this uh, college called Asbury College. Um, has anyone heard of Asbury College? Uh, I was reading 1970, they had a revival. And in the 70s, there was a lot of conflict going on in college campuses. And God sent a revival to Asbury College that inspired a group of people that started with an hour-long chapel service that ended up being a seven-day-long, 24-hour revival. And from that moment, there were college students and professors and pastors sent out of Asbury to other colleges to bring revival around our nation. It was a very healing time. You could Google it, 1970 Asbury Revival. It was really, it was really a powerful thing. Uh, I just read, it's happening again. God has used the College of Asbury, started with a 50-minute chapel service, and I think they're almost going on three and a half or four days. They're still having a service right now. They're still going. And people are coming through all the times of the day, and people are hearing about it, and they're going. Why would I share that? I almost promise you there was a group of people that were praying for God to use that campus. There were a group of people that were fasting and praying and pleading that that would be a place where the spirit would fall and the spirit has poured out on there. May we have that same posture when it comes to knowing Jesus. This pressing on towards him and seeing the things that could happen from our lives. Maybe in this place, but maybe more importantly, what happens as we leave this place. 
the things that come because we're on the cusp of just following him, just the, this expectation of faith this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I, I am so thankful that you've, you've given us Philippians chapter three this morning to remind us of these really, really, really important things. Lord, we repent over the ways in which we have put other things in front of you. Like, start with me. If there's been anything that has come in the way of my relationship with you, other things have gotten more important. Right here, right now, we say, forgive me, forgive us. For there is nothing more important. There's not a treasure of this world. There's not an accolade we could receive that will ever be even close, even merely close to the surpassing value of just knowing you, Jesus, and knowing you personally, not just knowing knowledge about you, but knowing you personally.